0: Yeah, I mean, and maybe, you know, it's never been a more exciting time, right? Like what a time to be in in education, what a time to be in PT education. So uh, I'm certainly, there's a lot of conversation and a lot of real issues facing our profession, both our profession more broadly in education. And I, I don't at all mean to be dismissive or flip about any of those. And I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of those. But I also think in many ways we're on this, we're in, we're living in this really disruptive moment. And and maybe I'm just a little bit wired that way, but I just find it incredibly exciting to think about and and to wonder, like you never know when you're in the middle of a of a of a history a history changing moment right. where you're at in the moment, right? So are we are we actually not quite there yet? Are we right in the middle of it? Have we just tipped past? And so I find that incredibly exciting. That,
1: All right, I'm excited for this episode. We talked to Kendra Gagnon. Uh, Kendra has been in PT education for a while now, and she's been looking at PT education or education in general through a a different lens, or maybe she just comes at it from a different angle um, because she was sort of ahead of the curve with this whole hybrid thing by a couple of years. Now, she wasn't the first person to do it. She'll, She'll share that with you in the episode um but she embraced it which i think if there's a theme throughout this episode that sort of just popped up it's embrace the things that are your core values right first identify what those core values are what are your strengths and what are your values what do you want to project what do you want to share what do you want to create and then make sure that they're sprinkled in everything i mean she references that hybrid education that's not what education is that's just the delivery device Right, it's not online education. It's education online. It should be talked about in that order. So, uh, Kendra's great. She talks about uh, the the current state of PT education, how to stand apart if maybe you want to get into it or you want to advance yourself uh, in it. So, uh, listen to this episode. She is fantastic in it. Let's uh, let's get to it too. But want to say thanks to uh, PhysioTech for supporting the program. Here's a question: Would adding an additional two hundred ninety dollars per patient per quarter help your business? Of course it would. Remote therapeutic monitoring can do that. It improves patient outcomes, reduce pro- reduces pro- provider frustrations, and improves clinic revenue. We like all those three things. Find out how to get started with RTM at physiotech.ca. That's PhysioTec.ca. And our friends at MW Therapy, still delivering the modern all-in-one outpatient PTEMR with the built-in patient portal, marketing automation, and billing feature- features you want at a great value. MWTherapy.com where switching your EMR is easy. And finally, uh, providing awesome adventures in patient care for physical therapists who care about where they're going. That is where that's Jackson Therapy Partners. Find them online at JacksonTherapy.com and find out where your PT license can take you. Without further ado, and you do know I love me some ado, let's start the show that uh, swooshy thing means we begin Kendra how are you
0: I'm doing great how are you
1: um, I'm good when you came on the screen I made a comment I'm like look at that background that's a that's a great brick background uh, room raider is a uh, a Twitter handle that I follow on Twitter they just rate people's rooms like people send screenshots. Ah. like you know because now I, after 2020 hybrid everything journalists people that they're yeah. reading, so they would rate rooms. I, I think Room Rater would give you a really, really good rating. I think, you know, just for the people back there, boom, it looks good.
0: Thank you. Thank it's you. Happened. Yeah. So, so you, this is, a, yeah, go ahead.
1: Go ahead. I, I, I was going to say, th- this is, is this the house? Is this an office? Where is this?
0: Yeah. So this is this is my house. So I live actually, I'm a small town, Midwestern gal. I live uh, about 40 miles outside of Kansas City in a little town in an 1883 victorian house that was abandoned for 10 years before we bought it wow. um got renovated it and moved in so this is like behind me is our the front brick wall of our house but it's it's full thickness brick so when we started pulling things down we thought it'd be cool to keep some I love that um exposed and yeah now it's and i didn't even know it was going to be my office and or that you know i would be doing literally everything on zoom when we bought the house but it's it kind of worked out so there we go so, background I guess
1: <laughs> so I found that out about you you had led on mm-hmm. about that I bought a mm-hmm. house a year and change ago and you'd mentioned how you renovated it I'd never really yeah. lived in a house mostly apartments most of my life yeah. so I've been I've been renovating what did the renovation process? teach you did it did it teach you any big I mean everything's a lesson right but what, what were the big like fundamental things because you took a leap with a house a house that old but it had good bones I'm For guessing. sure
0: yeah so for sure so not to get too deep into it because um, I know this isn't a podcast about home renovations but it could be though who um, knows <laughs> maybe it is today but we we actually lived in another older house before we moved here um, my husband was really more the old house person and he kind of pulled me begrudgingly into that world and that house we bought and we did the work on it as we kind of lived in it. And so when he started trying to talk me into this one, the one thing I said was I'm not moving in until it's done because you kind of learn that it, once you're in, it never gets done, right? Yeah. And so I think that was definitely the thing that we learned. But this house was, it had been abandoned for 10 years. There were raccoons living right above me. Um, so I think that probably it may be on a bigger and, and not to be cheesy, but a deeper note. I mean, you know, to, you know, I think it's a, it was an exercise in like hope and optimism and being yeah. able to see, um, what could be in, in what was So um, where, wow. where were
1: you approximately like 24 months ago when I bought this house with the, with the advice, Hey, maybe you should renovate the house then move in. I just did. Yeah. Hey, why you didn't ask bold? me.
0: Yeah. You yeah, should yeah, have asked I me. I, I was sitting you. here
1: in February, right where <laughs> I'm sitting in my kitchen. And there was a 21-foot-long hole, a foot and a half wide, 21 feet long, because we put a beam in there to take a wall down. And I'm sitting here, and, and I and I owned a hammer and a screwdriver when I am yeah, again. And I'm sitting here in the middle of, like, January in upstate New York, so cold, thinking mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sleeping in a sleeping bag, because, I mean, why turn the heat on? It's freezing. And I'm, I'm like, what did you get into? But, like, now looking back, now I'm sitting in a great kitchen. Like So you have to go yeah, through totally. the process of, like – this this is a leap and this this is scary and this is unknown
0: for sure and i think your room Raider would be pretty good too your background looks pretty great there uh but i I, the other the tip my husband would yeah it looks great the tip my husband would give you is this old house so he watched when we were in the first house and we were renovating he watched endless episodes of this old house everything he he knows he learned on this old house
1: right i mean and just (laughs) and and, and it's not just we're going to talk about pt education Cause yeah. that's what you're sort of an expert on, but education in general is we're, we're, we're as far away as the thickness on your cell phone or your, or your screen yeah. in terms of getting information and, and things just move just plain old different.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's never been a better time or more exciting time to learn yeah. anything, anything you yeah. want to learn, right?
1: All right, well, Kendra, I don't want to get to the easy questions yet about like, hey, what's going on in, in DPT education? Okay. Before we get to the hard questions, first question we ask is always the hardest, what are we drinking?
0: Okay, so I've got myself a, a, a ranch water.
1: I was never familiar with that term. Tell everybody what a ranch water is.
0: Okay, so I learned about this when I was working in Texas. So I became familiar. Hold on. It's a little bit off screen. So I became familiar with and fond of the Topo Chico. So this is sparkling water, right? We know the Topo Chico. So then I learned about ranch water, a little bit of tequila, a little bit of lime juice, Topo Chico. So yeah, cheers.
1: I don't have Topo Chico, but I did do tequila (laughs) soda because I saw that's what you'd be drinking Yeah.
0: Excellent. Yeah, cheers. All right,
1: first round is sponsored by our friends Johnny Owens. Just got a um, uh, had a conversation with Johnny the other day. Uh, uh, single source for PTs who are looking to certify in personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training. BFR, as the cool kids are calling it these days. Find them online at owensrecoveryscience.com. Uh, you, you mentioned it's never been a better time to be in PT education. I think if you, if you go online, a lot of discussion on the topic, more and more, I think – the 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 temperature would be net negative but you just made a mm-hmm. statement a bold one it's never been a better time to be in pt education right now i, I so so help me understand like i love I lo- first of all i love the positive right i just love the <laughs> love, the, love the, the 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 looking for the opportunities and the opportunities and the chances to be creative so so why do you say that i i love it i want to hear why yeah. why you think that
0: Yeah, I mean, and maybe, you know, it's never been a more exciting time, right? Like what a time to be in in education, what a time to be in PT education. So uh, I'm certainly there's a lot of conversation and a lot of real issues facing our profession, both our profession more broadly in education. And I, I don't at all mean to be dismissive or flip about any of those. And I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of those. But I also think in many ways we're on this, we're in, we're living in this really disruptive moment. And and maybe I'm just a little bit wired that way, but I just find it incredibly exciting to think about and and to wonder, like you never know when you're in the middle of a of a of a history a history changing moment right. where you're at in the moment, right? So are we are we actually not quite there yet? Are we right in the middle of it? Have we just tipped past? And so I find that incredibly exciting. But I think there um, there's a lot of changes happening, a lot of shifts in the landscape, a lot of opportunities, a lot of challenges. But I also think it gives us an incredible window, an opportunity to innovate and to be bold and to take risks. And um, and I find that just really exciting and enter- energizing and um, an incredibly creative space to be in.
1: All right, so th- there's another buzzword that comes up a lot. I love the word innovative. You uh, you went through the APTA Fellowship in Higher Education Leadership. There's a word, innovative, in there. If you look up online yeah. on the APTA website, they say it uh, provides current and aspiring directors in PT education programs with the skills and resources they need to be innovative, influential, and visionary leaders. I love that. So what does innovation mean to you in, in this scope, in, in, in education and PT edu- uh, higher education? What does innovation mean to you? What's your working definition?
0: Oh, my gosh. That's a great question. Um, you know and I think it's a really interesting one because you know academics I mean to forget about just PT academics but academics we don't really have an, a reputation for being innovators always right or to being particularly um, I mean we can be we can be innovative sure, sure. researchers and things but but oftentimes there's a there's a you know where are we're, we're seen as hierarchical as very institutional as very traditional um and so I think for me you know in a, you know thinking about, being innovative um, as a faculty, as, a, as an educator. Um, I mean, it really is about calculated risk-taking. It's about having, I think, a tolerance for risk, but also to not be reckless. You can't just go fast and break things. Sure. You know, you need to uh, be calculated to be strategic. Um, and to pay attention, I think using systems thinking to think about where you're situated within within a system is a really important part of innovation, and to understand, um, you know, how the system's going to act on you and how you're going to kind of act on the system and the changes that you make. Uh, but I think, yeah, a lot of it is is just kind of being, you know, kind of calculated risk taking, and it's also, you know, just just this week, um, I was listening to. A podcast that really struck me, um, and it was um, oh my gosh, I feel like I need to know the name. Oh well, I'll, <laughs> I should.
1: We it recording.
0: will come to me as soon as as soon as we stop recording. But I'll get it. It was on Adam Grant's podcast, um, CEO of IBM, and she talked about managing the upsides and the downsides of technology at the same very same time. And I felt like that captures so much the. Like what it means to be an innovative and effective leader, it's living in that paradox and that tension of the upsides and downsides, the risks and the cha- you know and the benefits, um, the challenges and the opportunities um, and sort of being a, a brutal optimist, right? like being hopeful but also living in the real reality.
1: Yeah. Well, I think um, you know l- looking back over my education, not just PT education, I think what you were saying, felt true anyway, which was, I feel like my education or or the system that I was in changed about this much real tiny through college. I mean, even, I mean, I was in college when the internet sort of like, you know, not came about or anything, but you know, everybody was getting, you know, broadband in their, in their dorm rooms for the first time. And I think things are just hockey sticked, you know, in in terms of, of innovation, you've had to sort of culminating in the recent past with the last three years and things having Mm -hmm. to or not having to getting to be remote where space and time wasn't necessarily a limiting factor into sharing information. So what does it look like right now? What's the current landscape? You know, I mean there, and and I don't want to, I don't want to put you in a, a particular corner, but ha- how does it look right now? What's how would you describe PT education to someone right now? If they were, they were going to make their way to it currently, what does it look like?
0: Um, le- well, gosh, it's, it, again, it's exciting, but it's it's tough. Um, I think there's a lot of really nuanced and complex and important conversations happening. I think um, the workforce demands are really important, and we're having a lot of conversations about that. So, you know, we had the APTA workforce study that came out in 2020 that kind of warned Talk about that.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, kind of warned about a um, a, a surplus of PTs. And then you had ACAPT, the American Council on Academic Physical Therapy, come out with some papers that sort of supported that idea of being thoughtful and um, and about program growth. Then you had the pandemic hit kind of right at that same time. And now we have a, a APTA workforce report that just came out just about a month ago that talks about the 22,000 PTs that left the workforce in 2021 with 10,000 graduates or about 12,000 graduates. So you can see we lost a net of about 10,000 PTs then. Yeah. You have ACAP retracting those positions. You have um, some of the the biggest thought leaders in PT education, Susie Duesinger and Maryland Landers, um, publishing Storm Clouds on the Horizon, which really brought forward some really important discussion on workforce demands and the value proposition and the changing applicant pool in PT. But now you've had some responses to that of people saying, I don't think it's quite as bad as we think. And "and what about this? And, um, and so I think that, you know, right now, in terms of sort of the landscape of PT education, I think we have a lot of really Smart and influential people that are paying attention to these important things—the workforce demands, the proliferation and expansion of programs, the changing applicant pool—and um, and not everybody agrees exactly where we are. But again, I think going back to what we talked about before, I, I think we're in this disruptive change moment, and we don't exactly you can't we can't know where we are hard. right at this moment. And so I think looking back, we'll have more clarity. And so I, I think it's a time when um, you know people are. There's a lot of opportunities for students, for faculties, for institutions, but there's also a lot of cautions. And I think, um, you know, and and I think the future is exciting, but there's a lot of unknowns.
1: So I'm not in PT education, but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of factors coming into it, right? So there's going to be more positions for faculty, the more students there are. There's going to be the chance Mm -hmm. for more programs, the more students or applicants, I guess we should say applicants, that there are. Um, there's obviously some other, other demands too, right now we're, we're making a concerted effort, or at least we should be making more of a concerted effort to bring people who don't look like the profession into the profession. So now you're hopefully just scratching the surface on tapping people who would not have considered PT five, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So these things are changing. I mean, a couple of years ago, the sky was falling chicken. Little was there are too many programs. Yeah, and then I guess nobody really had a pandemic on their 2020 bing- bingo card. There's no way you can obviously predict uh, predict something like that, but that'll obviously have some rippling effects. So, do you think? And and you can say I don't. You can just completely just say maybe I don't know, or it depends, which is the classic PT answer.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: Will we see even more program growth? Because that was this big scary monster just a couple of years ago, which was there's too many programs. It's going to sink.
0: Yeah. Down. I think it's still the big scary monster. I mean, I think that's still the big scary monster that really people in PT education are, are talking about—the um, proliferation of programs. And so, the paper that I just um, referenced that was that just came out um, just last year. Um, again, it's the title is "Storm Clouds on the Horizon," and it's Susie Duesinger and Merrill Landers. You know, they they actually um, published that since twenty thirteen. We have 52 programs that have increased their class sizes, six programs added additional cohorts, 17 expansion programs, and 45 wow. new programs. Wait, so wait, that's do, do the Yeah. Do those, do
1: those yeah. Numbers again.
0: So it's 52 uh, programs that increased their class size. This is since okay. 2013. So over the last decade, sure. six programs that have added additional cohorts. Okay. So maybe gone from one to two cohorts a year. Okay. Right? 17 expansion programs. So maybe one institution that adds, um, you know, another campus or something. Right. right? Um, And 45 new programs. Wow. I mean,
1: I feel like in the last last year, I've seen names of PT programs that I'm like, where's that one? And then I go to the website and it's like founded in 2022. I'm like, that's why I didn't know that one.
0: Yeah. So there's a lot growing. And, you know, so when you add all those up, I mean, that's in the last decade. And that's in the decade before, you know, they published that paper. So there's probably more now because that data is probably a year old at this point. Um, But 74 expansions and 45 new. So so that's the other piece that I thought was really interesting. We talk a lot about proliferation program, like new programs, but there's a lot of existing programs that are getting bigger and expanding as well that, that we don't talk about quite as much either. So that's another big piece of the discussion.
1: Yeah. I'm, a, I'm not in this. I don't I don't have a dog in this fight, right? I've graduated. Yeah. I'm uneducated, I'm but it was funny watching. I'm not going to call anybody out, but watching people who were at programs say you can't have any new programs. It'll disrupt. It'll, it'll, it'll really have rippling effects in the profession. And those programs were getting larger. So they were saying you yeah. can't get, you can't make new, but they were getting bigger. So yeah. you can see there's some, there's a lot of different interests from different perspectives uh, on different sides.
0: There are. And that's, I mean, there's institutional and and then there's also the institutional piece and, um, you know, there's, there's enrollment targets and there's revenues and there's workforce demands and there's student interest. And so that, again, it kind of goes back to it's, it's a really complex and nuanced conversation. And I think there are, um, excellent points and, and valid concerns across, you know, all spectrums. And so I think that my biggest, um, Caution is anybody who seems to know for sure, or be resolute that that's where I get a little bit uh, concerned. There's definitely it's it's complex, it's nuanced. um, And I think it's unsettled. We don't really know where how this is all going to shake out. But what we all agree on, all all of us, we love this profession. I think we all agree. We love this profession. We care for our students. We care for our patients and clients. And we all want to transform society. I think that's what we can all kind of get behind. And then it just becomes a question of how, how we're gonna do that and and yeah. how we're gonna do that together in a way that um, you know, makes sense and projects yeah. the future.
1: Yeah. You know I, mean? I, I agree. So let's talk about the we'll we'll stay on this innovative theme. Yeah. Uh, how does how does hybrid come into play? Because I, I remember being in Denver in 2020 and people were saying, you know, that's a great, that's a cute idea. And doing <laughs> the, doing patient care or education, that's a great, that's a great idea. We'll probably we'll get to that in in seven to ten years, Um, and then you hear that was
0: February of twenty twenty, right? Yeah, you hear
1: the record scratch. (laughs) Twenty twenty said, "Hold my beer." Yeah, and uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Yeah, you know, especially in education. And you mentioned people in education might have this um, this label of being you know hierarchical or slow to change. Yeah, but what I really see is in, in people in education, the people that I've been educated by and exposed to. When the going gets tough, they just start doing something and they typically can do it with a straight face like, OK, this is fine. We're going to figure this out behind the scenes. They might be scurrying, but they, yeah. they they try to figure it out. So so let's start with this. Why would hybrid programs in education in this world that you get to live in? Why is it attractive to institutions? I first thought it would be scary to institutions. They'd be they would be resistant to it. But why would it be so attractive to institutions?
0: You know, I think a big reason that it's attractive to institutions, I mean, number one, there is a, uh, an efficiency and a scalability. Now, make no mistake, you know, and I've been in hybrid PT education now since 2017. Um, and so kind of in, you know, I was a fully hi- in a fully hybrid faculty role pre-pandemic. Yeah, on you, purpose. Were, you were
1: doing it before it was cool.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. for sure. Now, now, there were people doing it before me. Again, you know, you've got programs like, you know, Nova Southeastern and, and St. Augustine that have been doing it for a decade, right. you know, and they paved the way. Um, then there were, you know, kind of a new style of hybrid program that sort of arose as t- sort of a fully hybrid, students and faculty everywhere, some folks using hybrid, le- leveraging it for a shorter program, um, some re- leveraging it to, in, you know, to make it a longer program to allow for more flexibility. But I think that's where institutions um, can find it attractive. Um, hybrid is just the mode of delivery. Right. And so the way you leverage hybrid can be done in really a lot of different ways to fit, um, the mission of the institution, the type of student that you're trying to attract. Um, there's some scalability in hybrid and, and I was getting ready to say before, you know, don't misunderstand me. It's very labor intensive and expensive to, to develop a hybrid program. Right. So there's no way, but, but, um, there is a, you know, a scalability to hybrid. You know, if you have faculty all over the country and they're officing at home, you don't necessarily need 20 faculty offices for all of them. You can probably go with a a flexible workspace with some hoteling and some hot desking and, and you have maybe six offices. You can, you know, we have to be thoughtful about how we teach our students, but, you know, we can add, you know, you can, you can teach students, in zoom you know you don't have to have a room to hold 70 students to teach them on a zoom right so there's some scalability there's some institutional efficiencies i think for for institutions that are in Uh, health profession space and across programs there's some um, collaboration some efficiencies you can leverage across if you've got hybrid OT and PT for example so I think there's and and not to mention the talent pool so I know you haven't asked me about the faculty shortage issue yet um, but programs have a really hard time filling faculty positions when you're when you're Constrained to geography, yeah, yeah but when yep. you can, yeah, recruit faculty regardless of where they live, suddenly you've got a talent pool that that's off the charts. Um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of um, parts of that that I think can be really attractive to institutions that are really trying to grow excellent programs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I was I was holding up the the cell phone it was yeah. like 2008 2009. I was a radio radio program director and DJ in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and I'm driving home. I had my then iPhone plugged into my aux cord. There was no real Bluetooth back then, and I was listening to K-Rock LA, and I'm like 27 28 years old and all of a sudden I was like, "Oh, I'm listening to K-Rock LA on my car." And mm. it was a really bad connection and it kept buffering. We don't use that term anymore. <laughs> It was buffering, buffering, right? And I remember thinking, man, this is not a great audio quality. And then I thought, man, in three years, this is going to be better. And in five years, it's going to be great. And then how are we going to react? And no one in the – I mean, I worked for a radio station company that had like five to 600 radio stations across the country. No one seemed to be even a little bit nervous. In fact, I kind of got patted on the head and said, Mm -hmm. don't worry about this because I said I can't be the third best radio station in Scranton and expect to compete anymore because now I'm competing with – Everyone, everywhere, yep. all at once—to name yep. a, a great film. Yeah. Um, but and you need to think like that. But you, the flip side is what you just mentioned—the possibility, right—is mm-hmm. you don't have to have those people in your geographic area. You have the people who are great, a good fit, motivated, want to work there, and then you can sort of mi- figure out what you said before—that mode of delivery. We can figure. Th- mm-hmm. We'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And and if you can make it work, man, that talent pool gets real deep then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think today's student, too, you know, thinking about the stu- the pool of students as well. Wow. So I think, you know, the talent pool for faculty and then also, um, you know, being able to recruit students, um, a bigger pool of students and a more diverse student as well, which, you know, we could get into any or all of those in yeah. more detail.
1: Well, let's talk yeah. about the faculty market. Like, what you know, <laughs> what's it look like right now? You know, we're, we're talking about opportunity in depth, but, but how does it actually sit? Where does it actually look?
0: Yeah. So I think that like if high level, you know, the 30,000 foot view, uh, there is a faculty shortage. Now, some of that, you know, there there is some of that that is, um, you know, aligns with some of our accreditation standards where at least right. 50% of our faculty have to have what is called a terminal doctoral degree. So right. PhD, ID, so the DPT isn't enough in terms of right. a doctoral degree. Um, and so we've known, I mean, there are there are not a lot of PT PhDs or even PT DScs, EdDs, and so that when programs need to think about that, that does limit, um, you know, the 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 pool or put some constraints on the faculty they can, they can recruit, but there is, there is a shortage um, of qualified faculty. And, and the reality is, is, you know, out in the, in the trenches, you know, in talking with people, there are many positions, there are many failed searches, um, positions that go with no applicants, with very few applicants, you know, it's really, really tough. Um, and if you go anytime, you know the APTA Education's uh, job board, for example. I mean, you will see dozens, if not maybe more, it, faculty positions posted at any any given time. So I think the high level view, there's definitely a shortage. Um, of course, I live in the hybrid space and have for quite some time, and I can tell you in that space, we actually receive. Um, we, you know, I, I've never been part of a search that we weren't didn't have lots of qualified applicants. Um, and, you know, my current position or my role in directing the hybrid DPT program that we're developing at Johns Hopkins, um, we have over 100 applicants right now for wow. a posting that we have up. So I do think that there is there's a broad discussion about a faculty shortage. But when you get into the weeds, I think that based on geography program type um, there's definitely a, it's, it's disparate. I don't think everyone, I think there are some programs that are having a much easier time finding faculty and there are others that are really, really struggling.
1: Yeah. Well, life's a lot like a pendulum or a seesaw because I'm childlike and mm-hmm. like to play on, um, uh, seesaws, but it feels like then if there's a faculty shortage, it feels like maybe part of the power dynamic, because I, I took one year of an mba so i have one third of an mba which doesn't get you anything at all except for a little bit further in debt but it feels like that's a power dynamic shifting back towards faculty right if the if they're yeah. if their supply is up and the demand is low if you're on the demand side that feels like a, an opportunity
0: I, I think it is i think it is for those faculty that are out there that are highly qualified i think there is and i think that again getting into that idea of systems thinking of thinking of about how we fit into to you know the landscape of the you know work in the US i think the flexibility and the move to hybrid and remote work has created a, a power dynamic shifting towards employees across industries right so when people now people there's more choice Um, there's more of a push to demand kind of flexibility, whether it be in a hybrid schedule or being able to work from home. And if, and if that's something that I want or need in order to, you know, be a caregiver, but also pursue my career, if you can't give it to me, I will find somebody else that will. Um, And so I think that there, again, I don't know that that's necessarily unique to PT, but I think some of the same forces that are um, driving some of the trends in the workplace in general are certainly PT education, higher education and PT education are certainly not immune to those. And so I do think that we're seeing that power dynamic kind of shift back so that PT faculty people that are qualified PT faculty um, can, you know, maybe negotiate more, you know, more flexibility, whether it be salaries, flexibility, things like that. And again, you know, going back to hybrid. With the addition of you know new hybrid programs and the many existing programs that are expanding to hybrid cohorts where they are truly hiring hybrid faculty that can live anywhere, um, that creates a situation where a lot of faculty that are, especially those that are you know in that hybrid space, have a lot of choice because yes, I don't do. have to pick up and move my family to go work in California or go work in Pittsburgh or go work in Texas or go work in Baltimore. I can I mean, choose. K- yeah.
1: Kayla, Kayla Black is, is a friend of the show and she lives in Arizona. Yeah.
0: I love with, Kayla. Shout out to Kayla.
1: Kayla, <laughs> Kayla works in a place called Hawaii sometimes. That's
0: right. Lucky her, right? Lucky her. Yeah, I know. Love Kayla. Yeah.
1: What? Like that I know. did not exist. So, all I know. Right. so you, you, you sort of, you sort of um you were going exactly where I was going to go next and you, you gave some um some ideas or you just like, I don't even know if you open the door, but you just let people know some doors that I'm not even sure they existed five, 10 years ago. How could faculty like best navigate this market now? Is there one or two pieces of advice? Well, one is understand that there are opportunities and you can negotiate some of these things. That wasn't a thing before.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, I think that that's absolutely right. I mean, I think that faculty that are interested in navigating this market. I mean, I do think if, you know, those that are interested in kind of looking in the hybrid space, you know, you're going to have to upskill because that is a space where there is some competition. Like I said, we okay. have, you know, we have a lot of applicants for some of those positions because we have that national pool. Right. And so I think upskilling in, um, and some of us that got in on the earlier, you know, I think we, we, we took that risk and now, you know, I don't know, maybe I probably wouldn't, wouldn't get hired at one of these programs now, but I, I took a risk earlier and here we are. Um, but I think there are some competitions. So I think upskilling, I think, and when I what I mean by that is yeah, really we, understanding, yeah, I think, you know, understanding how like hybrid teaching and learning works. So I, I used to say, and I still kind of stand by it, you can't just like shrink it and link it, right? You're not just right. taking that hour lecture you are going to give and making it maybe a little bit shorter or breaking it up and just posting it online. I mean, there is, you know, hybrid teaching and learning there and, and student support And being part of a hybrid team, like what it means to work in a team like that and communication strategies, there are different skill sets. And so I think there's certainly some good learning that can happen, you know, within sort of our PT bubble and our PT conferences and things. But I also encourage people to kind of get outside of that world. So going to some of the you know, like the online learning consortium conferences or, um, you know, I I don't know, taking some continuing ed, some coursework specific to hybrid learning. So I think kind of upskilling, um, in that way so that you can really come to, um, these kinds of positions and, and really have some strong skills in hybrid, um, delivery. I always think, you know, um, I, you know, the terminal degree thing, whether you like it or not, you know, when you're a program director and you've got to make decisions, all things being equal, if you've got someone with a terminal degree and someone with not, you know, you're you're going to, that that's going to weigh in your decision, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's going to be part of your decision. So I think that there's, and there actually was a recent paper that came out that actually showed the value of the terminal degree. And so I think that you could make an argument that it is something that, you know, you can get some return on investment. So I think thinking about that Um, if you're not interested in going down that road, I think, you know, the DPT with specialist certification and getting some publications out, you know, thinking about the, you know, the kind of the, the three-legged stool of, of academia, um, teaching research and service, right. So if you can show that you, and I'm speaking a little bit specific to hybrid right now, I don't know if that's what you meant, but that's my world. That's what I'm thinking. But if you can show some, um, you know, some ability and some capabilities and some skills in in that online hybrid and hybrid teaching and learning and, and student support. If you can, you know, show you have a little bit of scholarship, um, and, and in terms of service, you have that strong clinical expertise or you're doing kind of, um, whether it's state, local, or national work um, in your association, you know, those are the things that I think, I mean, I know that I, I start to look for um, in candidates to, to really know that we're going to have a strong, even, and I, and I love like bringing on new, fresh folks, but also just knowing that we're going to have a strong foundation to build on in those areas, sure. um, even if it's not, you know, a, a, a lengthy
1: career. All right, let's flip that question because we just said, I mean, you were you were talking about candidates or people looking to get into yeah. it. Um, now that the power dynamic is a little bit shifted mm-hmm. or, hey, like there's an opportunity if you're faculty, what should faculty look for in a leader? What are, what are some things yeah. you should, you know, look for or ask about in a leader to maybe figure out if you're a good fit, if they're a good fit?
0: Yeah, so I, I think that's so important. And I don't know... Um, I know when I was younger and looking and I I lucked out because I've had some great leaders, but I didn't appreciate, I think the importance of having a leader, the, the being, you know, being the right leader for someone, right? Right. Like really being the right leader for somebody and looking for somebody who would be the right leader for me. So I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm a values person. And so I like to ask people, you know, about their values and, and I've done some of that work myself. And I, you know, I can tell, you know, my two core values are courage and connection. And I can talk about what those look like and how, um, and how that shows up in my work. And, and I think having those conversations as a faculty, you know, asking when you're in that interview, or you're even just vetting of, you know, what are your, what are your core values and how do those show up in your work um, is, is a really important question to ask. I think as thinking about the values and the mission of the institution as well um if you are someone who joins an institution and you don't align with their values and their mission I don't care how
1: hard you try uh, yeah how
0: hard you try how much you love the the you know your co-workers um there is just gonna be that piece and that tug that's kind of missing so I think you know, institution, culture, values, and that can be hard to, you know, mission and values, you know, you can look up on a website, but I think asking the question of like, I noticed, you know, I looked on your website and I see your values are, you know, innovation and, you know, adaptability and flexibility and excellence. What are those? Give me an example of how those look. And if, you know, if, if people can't, speak to their values, if they can't provide an example, then you probably know that those are just like gauzy words on on a poster. Yeah, but they aren't really being lived out. And that to me is a little bit of a flag. So I think really, you know, what, who the right leader is, um, you know, it depends on you, but you need you need to understand that person's values and how they play out, and and then you got to think about whether that resonates with you and your values and how yeah. you show up to work with those.
1: Yeah, George Clooney was quoted in saying that he he had a mindset shift early, maybe not early enough in his uh, in his career, going on um, acting interviews and trying to get parts, and he said the that when he when he had this mindset uh, mindset shift where. When I'm, at a, when I'm at a reading, they have an opening. I am, I am a solution instead of I need to win this part because I need to pay rent next month. Yeah. And it sounds goofy and some people aren't into mindset and that's okay. This isn't going to be a, a value add for you. But I think when you look at it like that, to, to, to put it in this context, and this is where I go to my communications background, an interview is a two-way conversation and it's an exchange yep. of information. Chris Voss is a, is a former FBI hostage negotiator. Did you read? I was story? just
0: getting ready to talk about Chris Voss. I yeah. wonder if you're going to say the same yeah. thing. Go ahead. So his yeah. line
1: is every conversation is a negotiation for information. I don't mm-hmm. read books twice, Kendra. I read yeah. this book like four times because there's just nuggets all over. Yes. So, so the reason I'm getting this roundabout way with Clooney and Chris Voss is getting the interview does not mean you're trying to win the job.
0: Absolutely. Really, yeah.
1: really find out. If you're a good fit, by all means, prepare to give answers that highlight your skills, your upskilling, what you bring to the program and your three-legged stool. Do that. But make sure you don't just end that interview saying, well, I perused the website and then throwing them a softball question to check a box that I asked a question Mm -hmm. or two and looked enthusiastic. This is going to be a lot of your time and effort. This is where you spend an inordinate amount of your life in terms of effort Mm -hmm. with a job make sure it's the right one for you. And I don't think you can find that out from the website all the time.
0: No, no, absolutely not. And um, some people, they won't even know what's on the website.
1: Right, <laughs> oh, yeah. Someone else, look, take it from marketing <laughs> yeah. guys. Someone else wrote it a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, that's right. And it's somebody funny you brought up Chris Voss because I was thinking about him. So I will confess, I haven't read his book, but I did the ma- his masterclass. He has a class on masterclass. Oh, I gotta do that. negotiation, you gotta do it. But what he, his statement, and it really was reminding me of it is, any negotiation is two people, you're looking at the same problem. I don't know exactly how he, he words that yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. but he talks that you're you're both looking at the same problem. And I think that's again, that's true in, in a job interview. I mean, it's a negotiation and even when you're not negotiating yet. Correct. Um, you're and you're both looking at, you know, this person, this institution, they have a position to fill. Correct. They have a need to fill. And you you're have either need, yeah, you need a job or maybe you don't need a job. Maybe you're looking for your next big gr- area for growth. You're looking for your next big thing, but you're both looking at the same, you know, you're both looking at the same problem, but it is absolutely, um, a, a two-way street. And I, and I love, you know, your framing of that, but I think that's true. You know, asking, you know, really thinking deeply of, you know, not only how can I show them that I'm the right, I'm the right person for them, but how, can I make sure that make they sure. are the right for me, the right person for yeah. me? And again, for me, it's values, it's values, it's mission, vision, values. It's, it's
1: the it's, bottom. It's, that's that's the periodic yeah. el- that's the periodic table of an organization, and and an organization is yeah. made of people. So find out what makes up those people.
0: That's right, and uh, yeah, and asking how, like operationalize it. Tell me what it tell looks
1: show, show like. Me show, don't, show, me, show, show me. Show me. Show and me. It.
0: And if they can't, I think that when people really can say that, then that's a sign that you really have, that's a transformational leadership. That's, that's, that's somebody, that's a place where people are really living out the values and really trying to, to, to achieve that mission or vision versus a kind of a more transactional. Well, we teach our classes. Well, we, you know, we, we, we publish two things a year and we teach our classes and we sit can sit on our committees and we do our, you know, that, that, that's, you know, um, those are That's objective. I want to get to the yeah.
1: subjective. Like, talk yes. to me about yep. the things that you feel and you and you believe. Plus, Chris mm-hmm. Voss, he's just got this. Uh, he calls it late night radio DJ voice. When you read yeah. the book, he says, every once in a while, because again, Chris Voss, for the people who haven't read the book or, or heard about it, former FBI hostage negotiator, his book is called Never Split the Difference. Negotiate yeah. as if your life depended on it. And he starts off by saying. Listen, I couldn't really have a bad day at work. Like, what am I going to say? You have ten hostages in a bank. All right, you keep five, let five go, and we'll call it even. We'll all go home. No, yeah, he had to have these strategies. And this isn't just—I read it because I was looking at a negotiate for a, a job, and I wanted to—I wanted to be raise, Right, that's
0: why I did them in the master
1: class. Hell yeah! Like this guy knows his stuff. He's negotiating <laughs> yeah. high stakes. I'm just looking yeah. for, like, you know, maybe a little bump. Um, but but the the best part is you know. You know when someone's on to something, when everything he talks about is basics. He's talking about communication mm-hmm. and seeing a problem from both sides and understand. Mm-hmm. And then he gets into nuance in terms of uh, mirroring or uh, you know using tone and inflection. And you're like, I mean, again, I don't read books more than once, but I got like post-it notes and highlights and underlines yeah. all in his. It's just, it feels like a guide to communication for me. From a guy who's, yeah. I'm not a communication guy, I'm just a former FBI guy. But he knew a lot, because he had to deal with people.
0: And again, the masterclass. And you gave your shout out to our friend, Kayla Black. Yeah. Uh, our friend, Trisha Catalino, who is yeah, yeah. also at Hawaii. Yes, yes. She's the one that told me about the Chris Voss masterclass. So I have to give her a shout out as well, because yes. uh, she's uh, my.
1: yeah. Last time I was on stage with Trisha, I was dressed as Elvis, who <laughs> was in Las Vegas. Ah! <laughs> I'll share those pictures as well. Okay. So, we talked different. a lot about the profession. We talked a lot about education. Yeah. You know, we went from macro and now we're getting a little micro. What are you up to? I was following you on LinkedIn. I remember, like, you know, I don't know how long ago it was, but you were talking about Johns Hopkins and I was like, that's cool. So, like, what's the update? Like, what are you doing and what does that look like for people?
0: Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, last August, so I've been there about nine months, I uh, went over to Johns Hopkins. I started a position there. I'm the director of their hybrid DPT program. We're a developing program. So, wait, it um, didn't exist are,
1: before, though, right? This is the, uh, not, uh, right? it was like, yeah. Yeah, I want to make sure people Johns know that.
0: Hopkins, that's right. I know, and it's one of those things, you know, Johns Hopkins is so known. I mean, obviously right. worldwide for excellence in healthcare, for medical education, for nursing, for public health. And so a lot of people are go, like, it. it but no DPT program, right. no, no PT education program. Now they have an excellent clinical um, physical therapist and residencies and all that. But in terms of entry level physical therapist education, not there. So um, yeah, so they brought me in um, last August. I have joined the school of medicine there and we are starting a DPT program and it will be hybrid good and so um we are it'd be, it'd be a little, to, little
1: weird if you were all pro hybrid and you went to a program that was not it's lie. really
0: true it's really true uh, yeah so so it, we it will be hybrid um, we're very very excited uh, we're at the very beginning stages our program our application for candidacy so we're pre- accreditation we expect to submit our application for candidacy hopefully in June of 2024 so about a year from now and then launch the the plan is to launch the following year if our timelines go as we hope um, And um, yeah, we're just really excited about it.
1: You're getting accreditation before you guys have a class. Because you can do it. Can you do it the other way? No. You can't. No.
0: So that, yeah. So our accreditation standards, you have to submit your application for candidacy. There's a little education for the listeners here. Yes, yes. And And so, and then um, a month. So we'll submit in June of 24. We have an onsite visit. in so a month later, so July of 24. And then, um, the onsite visitors prepare a report and then all of your materials go to the commission and they review it at the, they'll review us at their fall meeting. So that's October. They have two meetings a year, April and October. And then about a month after that, we'll get our decision. And then the candidacy decision allowed you to, to, to start. So you cannot start until you have candidacy. Got it. And then they come back right before you graduate your first class. For your full accreditation visit, so it is a um, incredibly thorough and lengthy process. Um, so we're we're in it now. Well,
1: we're we're, we're we're talking about um, you know the the state of of faculty and and what they can do. So like, where are you with putting your team together? That has to be. I mean, you can hear it in your voice how much you like this. How much fun was it? Are you done putting your team together? What's no. Okay.
0: No, we're just starting. We're All just right. starting. So we're actually um, accepting you know applicants now. We're starting some interviews. Um, We hope to have a team of um, about five of us ready to go by the end of the year to write the AFC, pull off the on-site visit. We hope to have uh, 10 in place for our start in 2025, 10 core faculty. We'll have lots of other adjuncts and things for our start in 2025, and then we'll layer in at least five more. So we'll be at uh, 15 faculty full uh, at least. And I'm uh, really excited about that, but we're just beginning. So right now in the program, uh, in terms of program faculty, I am it, we are in the wow. stage where there's only the program director. Um, so been talking with a lot of faculty candidates, reviewing a ton of application materials. So all of these things that we've been talking about are very, very front of mind, um, but it's also, I think you asked me, you know, like, what, are you having fun? Are you, yeah, and I'm, I love it. I mean, it is, um, I think building, I, I learned from my previous position that leading a team was one of my favorite part, like the people part, like deal, like leading yeah. people developing a culture, a team. Yeah. Um, So I miss that yeah. if I'm honest. And so I'm really excited about building a team. I also think it's the absolutely most important thing I'll do in the development of this program is bringing in the right people and the right team. And so um, it's something we're taking, you know, we're, we're really being thoughtful about and I'm very, very excited about it. And, and like I said, we've had, great interest and so i'm really excited about the caliber of folks that i think we're going to be able to bring in and the type of team we're going to be able to pull together it's just yeah. it's gonna be awesome
1: that's fun i like that yeah. all right you ready to do, uh, play three questions we do a little thing on the show called three questions okay let's, let's do, do it, it. Our three questions brought to you by ATI, one of the leaders in clinical research within the profession of PT, with more than 900 ATI clinics placed in the 100th percentile in CMS's merit-based incentive program for the second consecutive year. Go to atipt.com if you want to join their team and jumpstart your new career. That is atipt.com. Kendra, who's someone the, I love? Who questions you're talking about being excited about people? Who is someone the audience should know more about?
0: Hmm. So, uh, I would say in PT, Doesn't have to, no, go,
1: you do, you can do two, no, you could uh, be open-ended anything.
0: Okay. Um, gosh, I'm going to say, I'm going to go big first. I'm going to go like high level, like outside of PT, because I think that's what I want people to go. So, um, I'm, we've already talked about Chris Voss, so I'll take him off the list. Um, and I, uh, but I'm a big fan of Adam Grant. Um, he's yeah. an organizational psychologist from Wharton business school, wrote think again, Um, has written so many great books. And I think some of the um, podcasts and the things he's writing and putting out about work, and, I, and and education is just um, just super smart and nuanced. And man, he can just quote a research article that's so based in science. So I think Adam Grant is just, I think, a really terrific, um, terrific follow and someone everyone should know about if they don't already.
1: When I first started listening to him, and by listening, I mean like reading his stuff on Twitter, because I think he also he communicates well. I think I love his he message, is. but he's just is such a, a succinct and clear communicator. And you reference his book, Think Again which was the follow-up to his previous book that I read, but I can't remember the name of the title. Of. But he, the fact that he wrote a book and then he wrote a follow-up book in which he actually contradicted himself where he said, yeah. well, I've learned more and now I don't think that way. But that's the idea, which is not just dig your heels in and only think this way. I was like, you got to kind of respect a guy who does that.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And his podcast is one I listen great, to great religiously. Show. Beginning of the show, I couldn't, it was his podcast I was referencing. I did remember, Ginny Rometty is the CEO My of IM. IBM, who said, um, who talked about managing the upsides and downsides. So I wanted to get that right, but that was on Adam Grant's podcast. So just just an excellent, I think for, for thinking about leadership and work and education and yeah. just, um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, second question on three questions. Um, what's something the audience should take a look at if they want to take a deeper dive into some of the things we talked about today. I like leaving people with, you know, strategy, but also yeah. tactics. Like where would you send them or what would you, what would you put in front of them?
0: Well, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, I am a graduate of the APTA fellowship in education leadership. Um, I, that's changed names a couple different times. So I, I may not have the, I think now it's the fellowship in higher education leadership and it's now situated in APTA education. So yes, it is. it's, it's shifted a little bit. Um, But I, that experience was transformational for me. And so I think for folks that are really interested in leadership, um, you know, whether it, and not necessarily just being a program director, but just leadership within their program, whether they're a DCE or they just want to take more of a a leadership role in their program. It's just excellent um, networking, excellent. It's just an excellent program. So I think that's something to, um, to definitely look at. Um, another resource that i found that's just really, really helpful for faculty is the National Center for Faculty Development and Diversity, so the NCFDD, and it just has some great resources um, on mentorship, on um, kind of, you know, creating a writing habit for faculty, so just a, a lot of, you know, just great strategies, and a lot of the uh, more junior faculty that i um you know, work with, that's a that's a resource that I'll point them to. There's kind of some 10, 10 introductory modules that kind of hit thinking about the different responsibilities of faculty, time management. So those are two places that I think there's some really, really great tools. Of, and of course, I've already mentioned um, in terms of people that are interested in kind of educational technology and innovation, um, you know, the online learning consortium is great. Um, I really love Michelle Popanski-Brock at the California Community College and her work on humanizing online learning and the online network of educators. Um, And there's all kinds of, you know, so so just getting outside, I I think, um, of PT and into kind of the educational technology world, it will kind of really open your mind and then Give you, give us lots of things to bring back to innovate in,
1: in All right. PT. Uh, we yeah. started with you saying that um, you know it's it's never been a more exciting time to be in in, in PT education specifically because mm-hmm. that's the world you you live in and the one you're building at Johns Hopkins. Um, you know what's your final what's your final push for saying hey th- this is the reason why it's so exciting or 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 why it's such an exciting time?
0: Um, you know I just think that. You know, right now we're again, I mean, the world is changing and I think embracing that change, living in the paradox, um, managing the upsides and downsides of all of it. And I, I just think it's, you know, again, I, I don't know. It's, it's just to me, it's never been a more exciting time for opportunity, for creativity and, and for casting a vision and for honestly deconstructing and reconstructing um, something totally new.
1: It sounds like the the people who are, who love doing this thing that we're talking about today which is PT education and again hybrids a delivery model it's not what education is education is is it's just how it's delivered right, right? I think the excited people the people who are willing to be innovative and creative they're going to be they're going to be rewarded with the opportunities and doing the things that they want to do how they want to do them
0: I agree. And you know, one of, I mean, just to reference another favorite follow of mine, you know, Brene Brown and her work. And one yeah. of I love the way that she frames um resistance to change. And she talks about resistance to change being really a fear of irrelevance. That fear of irrelevance is one of the biggest shame triggers of work. And so when people are resistance to change, it's usually fear of re- irrelevance, yeah. but it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Sure. Because when you resist change. the change, you become irrelevant. And so I, I think if people could really get, you know, reframe with, when we're feeling that resistance to change, really reflect on what we're really afraid of. So it doesn't become a self-fulfilling prophecy, not being afraid of change. But but being thoughtful about what should endure and protecting that because that's important as well. Um, I think that's uh, And likely amazing. it's going
1: to be the elements you're talking about. The thing that should yeah. endure is not how you do, it's why you do, right? If you want to that's go to right. Simon Sinek, right? Like start with that why yeah. or don't lose that why. But how you do what you do. You know how many people I knew in radio who didn't want to learn the new technology because like, well, if I learn it, then I got to do it. And then yeah. I remember being like 23 being like, yeah, but if you don't learn it or do it, you ain't gonna do nothing and they didn't really? they they became dinosaurs and they they became extinct. All right, last Definitely. thing we do on the show Kendra is the parting shot. Mm-hmm. brought to you by our friends the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy with their fifth edition of Current Concepts of Orthopedic PT. I just call it a roadmap. If uh, No matter where you are in your PT, orthopedic PT career, if you're thinking about leveling up, if you're thinking about taking that OCS exam, it will. Uh, it's not going to help you pass, right? Because you got to do that work, but it'll get you to the starting line feeling really, really confident and competent. So find out more at orthopt.org for Current Concepts. So Kendra, here's your chance, your mic drop moment your soapbox statement, whatever you want to call it. What do you want to leave with everybody today as we wrap up?
0: Uh, I mean, I I think I'm going to be kind of boring and just go back to, I mean, it's never been a more exciting time to be in PT education. So embrace the change. um, Get excited about this moment that we're in. That's, um, you know, knowing that we're in the middle of a disruption, but not quite knowing where we are. And, um, and I think being part of the change.
1: Love that. Well said. Uh, Thanks for the time good luck at, at, at Johns Hopkins. I want to hear more as you do this, but it sounds like, man, you are setting yourself up for exactly what you want to be doing in terms of bringing a team together, launching a program, doing it um, from the ground up. A lot of people get scared at um, square one or a, a blank dry erase board. My guess is that's not you.
0: No, not me at all. And I, I, I'm confident we're, you know, it's an excellent institution. We're pulling together an awesome team and we're expect nothing less than building uh, and we're hoping to build something totally new and um one of the best programs in the world
1: love it kendra thanks so much yeah. for the time i say the best conversations happen at happy hour thanks for coming to ours
0: oh thank you for having me it's been a pleasure <laughs> we talk pt drink beer and record it this has been another pour from the pt pinecast the pt pinecast is intended for educational purposes only no clinical decision making should be based solely on one source while care is taken to ensure accuracy factual errors can be present more on the show at ptpinecast.com